Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 20. In continuing with this, um, with what I talked about some weeks ago, that the, the mysteries of God are discovered in the supernatural. And if we're not going to embrace the supernatural, we have immediately limited us, limited ourselves to mysteries that we were designed to discover that we won't find. I've got to be willing to to embrace the supernatural. So in keeping with that, we're going to start with John 20, verse 19. That evening, the disciples gathered together, and because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors to the place where they met. But suddenly, Jesus appeared among them and said, Peace to you. Then he showed them the wounds on his hand and his side, and they were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. Jesus repeating his greeting, Peace to you. And he told them, Just as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. Then, taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins, and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. So I want to start there, and then we're going to... Go down to John or Acts chapter 2. But in this, I, one of the things that uh, I love when I'm reading through the scriptures, and, and it happens fairly, fairly regularly, I guess, is to be surprised when I read something that has been commonplace for me, and I just read that scripture, I'm familiar with it, I'm familiar with what I think it's telling me, I might even have gone there because I know that's what it's telling me and I want to be told that again. So I go back to be refreshed there and and so forth. And I love it when I get there and Holy Spirit turns it and a mystery comes out. And this, this passage or these passages, we're all well familiar with them. I'm well familiar with them. I've read them a bunch of times. I've preached them a bunch of times. I, you know... If you want me to give an explanation, I could give you an explanation. But then I get here this time, and Holy Spirit goes, you don't even know what you're looking at. And I'm like, I probably shouldn't answer, (laughs) but I'm going to anyway. I think I do know what I'm looking at. And he goes, no, because you've never seen what I'm about to show you. You don't know what you're looking at. And then he went on to unpack for me this, this event as opposed to these words. This event that is described here by John is an incredible event. When Jesus looks at the disciples and he takes a breath and <laughs> blows on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. As a Jewish person, I would understand and could recite the scriptures to you of times that the Spirit came upon somebody. From Genesis all the way through, 
uh, Malachi might be a little hard to pull it out. But at least it came upon Malachi, so he could write the, the, the book. But So I would have understood that the Spirit can come upon somebody, but that's unique. It doesn't happen very often. It can be powerful. It can be life-changing, depending on what happens. But most of us will live and die, and the Spirit will never come upon us. We'll just be going to temple, doing our routine, being faithful in our religious duties. You know, I, I, can, be, I can be a righteous man, but that doesn't mean that the Spirit will come upon me. It just means I'm, I'm practicing my faith to a certain level. Jesus, though, blows on them, on the disciples, and says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's different. When, when the Spirit comes upon me, that's an external thing that will come over me and will enable me to do certain things, but it's something that's come upon me. When I receive something, it's something that comes in me. This, this event, Jesus saying, receive the Holy Spirit, this has not been spoken on the earth since the garden. Receive. I mean, that's, that was the, I mean, in essence, that's the words to Adam. When he breathes into him and he receives life, the life that he's receiving wasn't just life being a human being whose heart and lungs are now functioning and so the rest of the body is functioning. But it was when he breathed into Adam, he became a living being. He now was saturated with the very essence of the creator and was designed to walk with the creator to do all that was intended by him. Now, we know how that story ended not so well. But here we are back, Jesus, having been raised from the dead, now in resurrected form, first says to the disciples, here, look, look for yourself. There's, there's the wound. You want to see the wound? Here's the wound. You want to see the wounds? Here's the wounds. So the very first thing he did was give them opportunity to fully see him. Which I, I, I don't know that I can uh, um, justify this in scripture, but my thinking is, my expectation is that those scars are still there and on a certain day, every one of us will see those scars. Revelation describes him as the lamb who was slain. How do you know that a lamb, lamb is slain unless there's something in the characteristic of the lamb that identifies it as a slain lamb? And that's about all I don't know about that. <laughs> that's my expectation. Jesus comes to them and identifies himself. So they know. And this isn't some ghost. It isn't some aberration. 
you know, in one of the stories where Thomas says, you know, I'm not even going to believe unless I can touch it. And Jesus, here. I'm not afraid. Here. Put your hand to my side. They were overjoyed when they saw this. This is Jesus. This is, we've just gone through multiple days of intense emotional agony. Believing that all that we had believed for and hoped for and expected and fantasized about and all the stuff that was going on in our heads all came crashing down on one day. And now he's standing in front of us. It says they were filled with joy. I bet they were filled with joy. So Jesus again says to them, peace, peace be to you. And he said, this is the deal now. As the Father sent me, I'm going to send you. And for so many of us, uh, and I know in, in a general sense for so many people, oftentimes the gospel is presented in such a way that what we're trying to do and what we feel our responsibility is, is to make converts. The scripture never uses the term converts, and we're not supposed to be making converts. We're supposed to be making disciples. A convert is someone that makes a mental assent to believe some standard and convert to that standard. That's not Christianity. A disciple is someone who has engaged mentally, but the mental engagement started with a heart engagement. The heart engages in relationship, and out of the relationship, then the mental begins to align with what the heart is speaking. Especially in Western culture, we're taught so many times that everything is about how I think. We're all so cerebral that we miss the points of what our heart is speaking. And our heart, believe it or not, is more intelligent than our brain is. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's that type of alignment. So Jesus is saying, as my Father sends me, I'm going to send you. The, ob- the, the goal here is, what does it mean to be sent? And what is the gospel that we're now supposed to be proclaiming? So we'll get to that in a moment. And then Jesus takes a deep breath, and he blows on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not out, it's within. When we take in the spirit, we've now, the kingdom has come in. I know that in certain circles, uh, the phraseology that we use in our Christian speak is, I've been saved. Have you been saved? When did you get saved? You ought to get saved? I don't think you're ever going to get saved. The New Testament does use the word saved, but I think we, we, when we anchor on that word, we miss the fuller concept of this encounter with God, which is born again. 
I've been born again. I have that I can I can get saved and feel like, okay, well, I went to the altar, I said, Jesus, come into my heart, and I got saved. And and that can be a very legitimate experience. But being born again is far more than that moment at an altar or however it happened with you. Being born again is that place where something comes in, I'm transformed into something that I was not. I've been born again, and what I was, or as Paul so, so lays out in Romans, what I was has been crucified and died in Christ, buried, and I now stand in resurrection, born again. And what I had brought with me no longer is with me. I've been made new, and I'm being made new, and I'm all, and there's that whole process. So I've been born again. That is the good news. And the kingdom then is within me. So we, we talked some weeks ago that at the core to sin, again, in Western thinking, church thinking many times, when the term sin is, is used, we immediately think to some moral standard and how I'm not making it to that standard and therefore that's sin. There, are, there is morals in our faith. But sin, the core of sin, is alienation. I'm alienated from my creator. And in that alienation, I then begin to do all manner of things to either try to substitute or the feelings I'm feeling, whatever I'm having, I'm alienated. And so the sin is that place of alienation. So what then, if, I, if I'm to go and present the good news, what is the good news? Jesus said, if we go and we preach, then their sins will be forgiven. If we don't go and we don't preach, then their sins remain. I don't think what he's referring to is this group over here, if we don't go preach to them, they're going to have bad morals. And so their sins are going to remain because they they're morally bankrupt. And this group of people have good morals, and so they're good people, and they're the saved ones. I don't really think that's what he was saying. For me, when I read this, especially if I look at sin being a place of alienation, what I, what I see him saying is, if I go and I preach the good news of the gospel, that everyone can come and have right relationship with their creator, that God has come to reconcile humanity back to himself, and Jesus has made the way for that reconciliation to happen. If that's the good news that I'm preaching, then our sin is forgiven. How's it forgiven? I move beyond it. Forgiveness, in my mind, is not just a moment in time, I forgive you. Because we know that when it, what the word repentance refers to a changing of your mind, right? So if I, to get to forgiveness, I've repented, I've changed my mind, I'm now going in a new direction. 
oh, I used to think that God was just mad at me and everything that bad that happened to me in my life, God was doing it because ultimately he really wants to kill me anyway because he really doesn't like me because I don't like myself. And if I don't like me, I know he can't possibly like me. And I ran into a, a person in the grocery store the other day and they made it very clear they didn't like me. So I'm pretty sure nobody likes me and God's in that group. And that's how I live as an orphan, as someone that feels like life is against me. All of a sudden I realize, because the Holy Spirit has illuminated it, somebody has told me about it, I've seen how somebody else is living, but whatever it is, I come to this place where, oh, God is for me. He's not angry with me. He's not trying to destroy me. And that stuff that happened, that wasn't him doing it. He's been here all along trying to get me to come to him. And now I come into that right relationship with him, then my sin is forgiven from not from the standpoint of an event in time, judgment, kind of a legal thing, gavel goes down, not guilty. It's not that type of forgiveness, at least the way I see it. The forgiveness is I move from what I was, I'm born again to what I've now become. And I'm forgiven because what was has passed away. All all things have become new. I'm not living in the constant turmoil of what I used to be. I'm forgiven. And then he says, if we don't go and we don't tell, then they're going to remain in their sin. Again, I don't think that's like some judgment statement. What he's saying is... I'm sending you in the same way that I came to you. And I said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in seeing me, you've come into a relationship with the Father because of relationship. In the same way, I'm sending you because that's how the Father sent me. Now you go, you build relationship with people in such a way that them coming in contact with you causes their sin to be forgiven or causes their mind to change, causes their heart to come to a place of receiving the love of God and now their life begins to be ordered differently because it's being ordered by the Spirit. But for the people that don't get that good news, they're still in their sin. They're still right where they were. And all the guilt and all the stuff that goes with that, it's still there. So if I've received the good news, I don't get to be stingy with it, you know, and go, well, us four and no more. I'm compelled by the spirit that's within me. I want everybody to know the good news of Jesus Christ. I want that. I want my life to reflect that. I want my words to reflect that. I want everything about me to make it easy for someone to be born again. Okay, let's jump over to Acts 2. Starting with verse 1. On the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. 
Then at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire, which just means it split, and engulfed them and engulfed each one of them. And they were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in the languages they had never learned. Now at that time, there were Jewish worshipers uh, from many different lands who lived in Jerusalem. And the people of the city heard the roaring sound. Crowds came running to where it was coming from, stunned over what was happening because each could hear the disciples speaking in his or her own language. Bewildered, they said to one another, aren't these all Galileans? And so how is it that we hear them speaking in our own language? And John, Jesus blows on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts, he had instructed them earlier, go to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem. And I guess the English were right. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come. Now, they went and they waited. I'm pretty sure they didn't exactly understand what they were waiting for. And to to go back to John uh, 20 for a moment, when Jesus blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, I somehow don't think the 12 went, ah, well, that's nice. So where are we doing lunch today? (laughs) I'm pretty sure they were whacked. I just don't think, I, I just can't imagine that impactful of a moment and everybody's standing there going, well, that's nice, that's nice. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Yeah, we received that. We received that. Let's go. You know, no, I don't think so. I think, I think they got pretty messed up when that happened. Can't prove that scripturally, but I think that's, that's what I think. So, over here in Acts. So Jesus had blown on the disciples, received the Holy Spirit, and when that happened, out of the heavenly realm, the wind and the power began to move in that room. And it was not only, so now as they're here and this wind is starting to move in the room and now the fire is starting to to land on each one, be around them, engulf them, not only did the power of the Spirit came, but the gifts of the Spirit came. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this more in weeks to come as well. But one of the things that, that just strikes me about the gifts of the Spirit, one, the gifts of the Spirit are not for me. They're in me for you. They're in you for me. They're in all of us for those that have not yet heard the good news. They're in all of us for anybody we're going to encounter. But the gifts of the Spirit are not designed so I can get another notch in my belt and step up the spiritual maturity ladder. So we have this scene now where this this roar is in the room. Now, when I read 
various commentators to just get an idea how others were seeing that particular verse because the way uh, the Passion translates it, um, it says that now the heavenly realm is blowing... Uh, no, 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 that's my note. It's not the one I wanted. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. So this upper room experience wasn't this quiet little place that this 120 were having this cool kumbaya moment and Holy Spirit just shows up. No, when the wind came in, most of the commentators I read feel that most of Jerusalem heard it. It was loud. It was, I mean, we've all heard wind when that, you know, you, when that front comes through and you're standing in the yard and it's calm one moment and the next minute stuff's flying everywhere. I mean, it was like that. It's like the, the roar of a, you know, I don't know if it was like the roar of a tornado or not. I don't, I wasn't there. But it was loud and all of Jerusalem heard it. So people in town were starting to move around to figure out what the heck is going on. And this group are in the upper room. They, they can barely stand or bear what's happening. And then in the midst of that, now pillars of fire are starting to appear on everybody. And, it's, and it isn't just on one, it's on everybody. There's this pillars of fire that's coming. And then all of a sudden, they all began to speak with, in new tongues. Tongues that they've not learned. So Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, heaven breathes on the disciples and says, receive the fullness of the Spirit. So when we're filled with the Spirit, we're equipped by the Spirit, you know, we're in, it, it changes who, or it doesn't change who we are. Being born again changes who I am. Being filled with the Spirit changes how I operate. And, you know, if, if all we are is a group of people that gather around a list of doctrines, our theological perspective, or just doing something that's benevolent, well, that's what every, uh, virtually every other society that, that humans create. I can go to the Rotary. They have their charter. They have how officers are, are elected. They have their structure. They meet. They enjoy each other. They do nice things in the community. And the moose do that, and the odd fellows do that, and myriads of other groups. So what separates what we're doing right now from this, from us all being over to the moose hall, doing moose stuff? <laughs> what separates us is the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The gifts 
of the Spirit. That's what separates us. What, what should be in the life of every community, and, and thankfully we, we have it here, we express it here, we encourage it here, we want to mature in it here, all those things. But I know when I come to this assembly that the, at the core, what we seek is the presence and the power displayed by God. Because I know that's going to have an effect. I can, I can smile for, to you when you come in the door, and I should, but I can, because I don't always do that. It was just a, that was just a reminder to me. <laughs> I should do that, but that, that act won't bring healing that the Holy Spirit is able to bring. Now, obviously, be you know that as we've all talked about that that's an introductory piece, building relationship. But at the core of the whole thing, me being nice to you is not going to change the the things that you deal with in your life. It's the power of God that will change those things. So I know when I come in. What I want, if I'm sick, I want you to pray for me because I want to get as close in as I can to where healing is going to flow. Now, you know, as we say, I don't, I've not been healed every time I've been prayed for. But what I can tell you is that's always helped along the way. But I want to get in and get closer. I want to get to the point that, you know, if, if I'm trying to sort out what, what's some matters, some issues in my life, I want to be pressed in enough that I hear the prophetic word that you're speaking. I hear the word of knowledge that you're speaking. And for me, the fact that the gift of tongues came at this point, I think tongues separates the church from not the church as clearly as any of the gifts. That's why for me, speaking in tongues is so important. Every time I pray in tongues, I'm reminded that there is something at work in me supernaturally that's beyond me. Because I'm not walking around just gibbering. When I wake up at night and I find myself already in a place of prayer and I'm praying in tongues when I wake up, I love that. Because what that tells me is I was praying in tongues while I was asleep. Because I was already in the flow. It's just my conscious has just catching up with what was happening in my subconscious. That's why I believe tongues is such an important thing. When Paul says, those that when we pray in tongues, first we edify ourselves. It does edify me. I love to pray in tongues. It just reminds me all the time. I'm a supernatural being. And I have access to supernatural realms and supernatural gifts that are totally at my disposal. I can pray in tongues anytime I want. Anywhere I want. For as long as I want. It's just right there on my plate. 
And then there's other times where there's tongues and there's an interpretation. God's going to move a word through the community by somebody praying in tongues out loud so we can all hear, and then somebody giving an interpretation to what that tongue was. And we're edified by that. The mysteries of God are brought forth in the supernatural. I mean, I, I, at, at this point in my life, I can't even remember all the times where a prophetic word, a word of knowledge, uh, something somebody saw, a vision, something like that, has been given to me, and it's changed the course of my life. I heard it, I went, wow, that sounds pretty incredible, but I think I'll go for it. And it's not like I was, I could make it happen. I just had to yield and say yes and go after it. So now, tongues, they're all in tongues. So now they, they all come, you know, fall down, walk down, whatever, because they're all drunk in the spirit. That's the other thing. You just got to be willing to just go with it. I mean, when you think about it, people spend millions of dollars to get what we get just with God's presence. So it leads me to two conclusions. God doesn't mind drunkenness. He just wants us to do it his way. So he, his presence comes and I'm just messed up. Can't function. And he's, all, and he's okay with that. So these guys come stammering down the steps. They fall out in the street. Now they're, and they're all still speaking in tongues. But the people that had all assembled because of the roar, they're hearing this and they're going, aren't these all them Galilean folk? And they're, they're speaking in my language, but I'm Greek, I'm Scythian, I'm this, I'm that. And they're speaking in my language. And what are they saying? They're saying the good news. The time of refreshing has come. And people are responding to the good news. So on the, the other thing with tongues, and we'll kind of land this plane for today, but the other thing with tongues is when it came out on the day of Pentecost in the street, to me, one of the main signs that it was pointing to is the curse of Babel has come to an end. No longer will people be separated by language because the common language of the gospel, which is love, transcends every language. The good news translate, transcends every Every, every culture, every group. I, it's one of the things I love so much about getting the privilege of traveling overseas and meeting new people in new areas. And so you go in, like when you go to, uh, you know, when, when I first went to Haiti, in this small village up in the mountains along the coast, south coast, and 
and having no experience with how they worship or what they do, you know, and you get there and you realize, man, these people have had the same encounter with Jesus as I've had. These people are responding to that encounter the same way I've responded. We're all flowing in the spirit. We're praying in tongues. We're worshiping. We're prophesying. All the things that are present when I'm here in this community, I see there and I realize, man, this gospel is so stinking powerful. It's amazing because it works everywhere. Because we're not going to declare the, the theological standard or the doctrinal standard. We're coming saying, when I was with you, all I wanted to know was Christ and him crucified. Because in him crucified, what I know is not that a man died. What I know is that a man came who was from, sent from the Father, who in his death, I have been brought into right relationship with my creator. I've been reconciled to God. I watch people respond to the, the same way to, to the preaching of the good news. They respond the same way. It's like we're speaking different languages. We live in, a different, in different cultures. But the gospel works in every culture. We went into the, in those early years, going into the slums of Brazil. So that was the, my first experience with that. It was just amazing, amazing. You watch people. You just lay hands on them, and they're healed. You lay hands on them, and, and demonic strongholds that they've had are broken. And, uh, you know, one of the, um, probably of all the times I've prayed for somebody for deliverance, this was the most, it was, it was the, the most powerful encounter I'd had. It was the end of a service. All these people came up, and there was this little lady. She's a little short thing, probably didn't weigh 90 pounds, and you could tell all she did was drink because you could smell her well before you got to her. And, and she's, you know, she's a mess and all that kind of stuff. But she's standing there. She's in the prayer line. She wants to be prayed for. And when I walked up to her to pray for her, her eyes were a light blue, maybe about, maybe a little lighter than the blue on that picture there. I couldn't see any pupils. It was just these two lightly blue eyes. And she's standing in front of me, and she's just standing with her hands like this. And, and in Brazil, that has some, they, they know that to be uh, issues for deliverance. But anyway, she's standing in front of me. So, of course, she, I can't speak Portuguese. She can't speak English. And so I had a translator with me, and I said, I'm, I'm going to pray for her. And I, I started praying, and uh, I don't always do this, but I put my hands on both of her shoulders and I started praying. I started to speak against the darkness that was holding her and, and so forth. And I can't say, I, as I remember, I didn't have any particular words of knowledge as to what spirit I might be dealing with. I just was praying against spirits. And it was, and the fact that she, because a translator got called off someplace else, so she doesn't even know what I'm saying to her. I mean, to, as far as mind understanding. She doesn't know what I'm saying. So I'm, I'm praying, 
And at first, she's just very, you know, tense. She's just there. And at a certain point, I just kept praying and praying. Nothing was really changing. And then she started to cry. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what was happening. I couldn't ask her what was happening. But when she started to cry, she went from being very stiff to limp. And then a little limper. Now, she didn't fall down, but she just you could just tell as she was crying, something was happening. So finally, I got the translator back, and the whole time, she has her eyes closed. So I got the translator back, and I said, ask her what's happening. What she, you know, I, and uh, so the translator starts to talk, and when the woman opens her eyes and looks at me, her eyes were clear. The blue was completely gone, and her eyes were just this beautiful, brilliant brown. And she was sober, and she was changed. And it was amazing. I'm just, I'm just standing. That, that's just incredible, right there. I, I, I can honestly say, Boy Scouts honor. I didn't have that much faith. But the faith giver had all that was necessary for this dear little lady to be set free. And I got to see her, uh, that was down at Danny's. So I guess it was maybe two days after that, because I was leaving soon after that. I saw her on the street. I was with Danny, and we, we got a chance to talk to her, and she was just doing good, doing good. And she was so excited to tell me that, since that evening service, she had not wanted to drink and had not. And she was known on that street. And we all know where all that goes when people get into that lifestyle. But she was free. And so that's what separates us. We're not the moose. We're not the Longfellow. We're not any good social organization for all the good that we do. We are the church, the body of the living God. And we've been assigned to go and take the good news into all the world and to declare that you, you can be set free and be reconciled back to God, that the alienation that you've lived in and lived under and has trashed your life can be removed and you can be reconciled to the Father. Yeah. And that he loves us. And that's his goal. And that he's not angry with us. He's not trying to destroy us. And just living up to some kind of moral standard is not what... The gospel is. And there's, you know, I've said this before, I'm not downing morals, morals. We are, we, we should have moral values and so forth. But that's not the good news. The good news is that the Father has sent the Son so that we all can be reconciled back to Him in the life and the death and the resurrection of the Son. That's the good news. That's the, and that, my friend, is supernatural. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, so, Father, today we just we step in again. I want, we just step into new realms in your supernatural. As been said in weeks back, as things are starting to unfold in this new place, healing and and how we move in the supernatural. There's a lot of new things that are changing. The way we did it five years, ten years ago, or even last week. Those things are are shifting right now. 
but that does not negate the supernatural. It just says it's taking on characteristics that empower us to be relevant in the culture where we are today with what that culture is dealing with and walking through. That every place where the plans of the enemy have been sent against us personally, against our families, against our societies, wherever, that the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Lord, that you are equipping the church to take her rightful place to be mature and to walk in the supernatural realms that we've been called to. So Father, I would just I just speak over us that one, what we're looking for is not the next revival. What we're looking for is the manifestation of the sons of God to step into their full authority and their full place, walking in the power of love, seeing that every captive, every prisoner is given the opportunity to be to walk in freedom. And we do that through and in Holy Spirit. Father, let there be a fresh release of the gifts in this house. First and foremost, let there be a fresh awakening of tongues. Renew in us again just the excitement of speaking in tongues. The edification that comes from that. Show us new ways to use that particular gift in the way it was intended to be used for the liberation of others. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming. Thank you, God, for the fire of the Spirit, for the wind of the Spirit. And may this place be a place of fire and wind. Yeah. Let the fire bring the purification. Let the wind bring the voice. And let us walk in the fullness of who you've created us to be. We give you all praise, all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.